Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. This morning, we are beginning a new series. Uh, it's kind of the start of the fall, and so we wanted to start a new series called When Pigs Fly. Now, I know some of you have heard this statement. Uh, maybe some of you who are older, I don't know if we still use it for those who are younger, but um, when, pl- when pigs fly uh, just simply implies this, that there's a good chance, there's a slim chance, right? When pigs fly implies that there's a, uh, there's a good chance, there's just a slim chance. And so you've been here, right? There's circumstances in your life, whether uh, it was a job, whether it was a promotion, whether it was a school that you wanted to get into. Maybe it was somebody that you wanted to date that didn't want to date you. Um, but you believed that even though you had a one in a million chance, there was still a good chance. And so you went and you told everybody and they, you shared your dream with them about what could possibly happen, that person you're going to date or that school you're going to get into or whatever it was. And next thing you know, they're laughing at you. And you've heard people say this to you before, right? In your dreams. Or maybe they said when hell freezes over. Or maybe they just said to you when pigs fly. Or what they're really saying to you is that would take a what? A miracle. And so over the course of the next four weeks, we want to discuss this idea because I think in many ways, uh, this idea of miracles is being downplayed, Uh, not just by the world, not just by culture. Come on, let's not blame them. Let's just blame us for this, right? This is prevalent not only within the church. uh, We don't need science and all that to to help us understand that uh, miracles, you know, we, we are ignoring miracles. This is just a problem that you and I have. The truth is, is we just aren't looking for them. We just aren't looking for miracles. And so we wanted to spend the next four weeks talking about this. And so we're going to cover miracles of provision, miracles of protection, miracles of healing. And today, today we're talking about this idea of miracles of deliverance. Now, I said in the first service, uh, our 830 leader service this morning, that I don't think uh, this message is supposed to be given, and as soon as I said that, all of our stuff went out. <laughs> so uh, let's hope that none of this goes out. If we could stay up, that'd be great. But I truly think the message that we're going to give today, the talk that we're, the conversation we're going to have today, is a powerful one. It's a powerful one. It's one that you and I will. Rec- uh, I think we, we just need. We truly need it, and um, it's something that I struggle with uh, very often. And so I think it's helpful. But I just don't know that this message wants to be given today. And so I need your prayers before we begin. Lord, we give thanks for this time. I pray that you would be, be with us, that these would be your words, not mine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you uh, who are gamblers and like to bet on stuff, and I know if you're good Nazarenes, like you just, you, you, you definitely don't do that. But uh, for those of you who do, many of you have heard this phrase, right? Uh, when you comes to gambling, when it comes to betting on competitions, when it comes to horse races, you've heard people say, what's the line? 
And I know you're all looking at me like, what's that mean? I don't know what that means. Uh, you've also heard people say, what's the over-under? If you follow sports in any way, you can go on the ESPN app, and if you scroll down it underneath um, the scores and stuff like that, or before the game starts, you can see the over-under. Now, I wasn't fully privy to what over-under meant for a long time, but the gist of it is this. As statisticians come together, they take statistics from both teams, and they make a prediction based on those statistics of what the outcome will be. And sometimes those outcomes are a composite score of both of the teams, or it's the, the difference between uh, the scores. And so your goal is either to, I'm going to guess over, or I'm going to guess under. Right, and we do this all the time in life. We we over we overestimate and we underestimate. We overestimate and we underestimate. You've done this when you filled out the March Madness bracket. I haven't filled out one in years, but you've done this, right? You overemphasize the team that is higher ranked, and you under underemphasize the team that is. Uh, on the low end. You've done this when running speed, speed uh, lights, right? Yellow lights. How many of you have run a yellow light before? Come on, everybody raise their hand that can drive because you know it's true. Uh, you overemphasize your ability to get through the yellow light. And there have been times where you've underemphasized and you've got, you stopped ahead of time and you're already stopped and it's still yellow and you're like, what was I doing? Uh, you do this in your own life when it comes to competition and, and opponents that you have in your life. You overemphasize your ability and you underemphasize theirs. And, and we have this kind of overemphasize, underemphasize thing going on. And the truth is, is this is what happens when it comes to our faith, especially when it comes to this idea of evil. Now, you can call it devil, you can call it Satan, you can call it demon, you can call it whatever you want. I prefer not to give that much credit because there's no credit due there. And so I'm just going to call it, for the sake of this message, we're going to call it evil. All right? And here's what we do. We tend to over, some of us tend to overemphasize evil or the devil, and some of us underemphasize the evil. Or devil. And you know this, right? You've met, you've met people who before who will walk into work or school and they'll say, I'm late because the devil hid my keys. They overemphasize it, right? And you're like, no, you're just an idiot who put your keys somewhere where you couldn't find them. That's your fault. It's not the devil's fault. Or, hey, look, I dropped my phone. The devil must have made me do it. No, you just don't know how to hold a phone or you set it down and you ran over it with your car. That's your problem. Or you gave it to your kid and they dropped it in the toilet. That's your fault, not the devil's fault. So we tend to overemphasize the devil or evil at times, but then we underestimate it. If you're like me, I, t I tend to underestimate everything. You can reason stuff away. You can chalk it up to nature. You can chalk it up to the laws of science. Uh, if you're like me, you tend to underestimate evil. I used to underestimate it until this one experience that I had. And... Um, I'm, again, this message is going to be fun, and I don't want to scare anybody away because it's just meant to help you, but uh, I really underestimated the power of evil. And I can remember when uh, I was at another church, and my, my pastor, after our staff meeting, we're sitting there, and he said, hey, I, I need to go pray with somebody after the staff meeting, but I, go, I want somebody to go with me. And I thought that was kind of odd because he'd been pastoring this church for 25 years. He's a very strong leader. I thought, this guy's confident. He knows what he's doing. Why would he need his measly little youth pastor to go and help him? And so he's in the staff meeting, and he, and he says, the lady that I'm going to go pray for, she's not sick. She just, she's into the whole spiritual realm. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And we're kind of like shaking our heads, like, can you tell us more? Can you tell us more? 
He said, well, she, she feels like there's this darkness over her house and she would like for us to come and anoint the doors and pray for the rooms and pray for her. And, and so uh, I'm kind of underestimating this because I don't believe any of this to be true. And I'm thinking, hey, this is like a haunting. Y'all ever watch that show, A Haunting? I'm thinking, this is going to be fun. This is going to be like, we're going to be like ghost searching and we'll get the lights out and the meters and everything will be beeping and spinning. And I thought it will be a great time. So I'm underestimating this. I get in the car. I'll go. Nobody else wanted to go. They all went and got tacos. Uh, but I wanted to go. And um, I got in the car, and the, the pastor's like, hey, just one side note. Um, I didn't tell anybody else this, but I wanted to tell you this. The reason why I need you to go with me is last week she had an incident where uh, she was getting out of her car, and um, she, she claims that something grabbed her ankles when she got out of the car and ripped her boots, she had knee-high boots on, and ripped them from the top to the bottom. And, he's, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a joke, right? And he says, no, no, no. Like, it looks like a tiger literally escaped from a zoo and just scratched down both sides, the sides of her boots. And I'm thinking, I wish you would have told me this later like, or earlier. Like, I, I probably wouldn't be here if that was the case. And so, so we get to this lady's house, and you know, it's just like the movies. It's dark inside and really, no, it wasn't like that at all. We walked in. It's sunny out like it is today. And I walk in. And I'm like, hey, this is, this is all right. This isn't too bad. I don't, you know, it's not really a big deal. We walk around the house. We anoint the, the, the doors and we pray for each room. And um, we come out and, and the pastor says, hey, we want to pray for you before we go. And so we're getting ready to pray for her. And I said, hey, I know I'm, I'm being a little bit nosy because I just didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. I said, would you mind showing me the boots that you were wearing the day that this happened? And she said, sure. So she literally had them right there in front of her. I didn't know this. And she pulls them out of this grocery bag. And they were just like the pastor described. She pulls them out and down the side looks like some sort of claws had just down the side. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Until her friend who was standing there said, yeah, I watched all of it happen. And I'm like, I get chills just talking about it now. She said, yeah, we, we went to the store, we got back, and we got out of the car. And she said, she said, hey, something's got a hold of my legs. And she said, I literally watched these boots just begin to, like, just, like, tear apart. Nobody's around Nobody's into the car. Nobody has knives. She didn't take knives. I watched these things literally be ripped from top to bottom. Now, I'm overemphasizing the power of this stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, let's get out of here. Come on, pastor, do your thing. Pray for them. I'm scared to death. Um, but we ended up praying for this lady. And I remember there was a few intense moments. And it was a little scary at times. But, but, but I can remember there was this sense while we were praying for her that everything was going to be okay. It's kind of weird. There was a sense that everything was going to be okay. And my guess is that you have some sort of experience in your life where either you overemphasize or you underestimate the power of evil in your life. And we don't want to creep you out. We don't want to send you running for the hills scared, talking about how crazy we are and stuff like that. Our goal is just to give you a practical understanding of what evil is, what it does, how it affects our life. Because if you're here today, you're here today, and you've lived for any minute, you've had this experience. You've had experiences that we're going to address today. And we're really here just to help you. 
And so this morning we're going to look at a letter, and many of you know who Paul is. I know you're scholars and you know more about the Bible than I do, but for those of you who don't know, there's this gentleman named Paul who wrote this letter, um, and Paul has, Paul has the right to write. Does that make sense? Paul has the right to write. In other words, Paul was this guy who persecuted Jesus' followers, and then he falls in love with Jesus, and he starts following Jesus, and then he plants churches all over the Mediterranean area. And during his church planning experience, which, by the way, any time you've been around church, you know that that can be difficult at times, um, he had his back up against the wall. In fact, there were times that he was imprisoned, and he was praying for miracles, miracles of deliverance, the very thing that we're talking about today, miracles of deliverance. And he had miracles of, of deliverance. And so he writes this letter from his own experience, and he writes to this community in Ephesus. Now, I know you're like, where's Ephesus? That really doesn't matter. But the important thing to understand about Ephesus, and I think you'll find this interesting, is they were in the practice of magical arts. Now, I know you're envisioning like witchcraft, and we're like stern stews, and we're making potions, and we're, you know, casting spells on... No, no, no. This entire community had built a temple... They had built a religion based upon this idea that there was somewhere, there was deliverance. There was hope in their life. They wanted deliverance from evil. They wanted deliverance from fate. They wanted deliverance from a bad future. And so they built this entire religion based upon this idea of deliverance. And so Paul writes to them, because this is something they've been struggling with, he writes to them to say, hey, listen, I know this is something that you're searching for and you've been searching for years and you're looking, you're looking and you can't find it. You've built a religion on it, but you're missing the whole point of it. And so he writes them this letter and it connects with them right where they are because they're wanting hope. They're wanting deliverance. Nobody wants evil in their life. That's what they're praying for. That's what they're hoping for. And so he instructs them. He tells them about Jesus and then he says this. Now, this is the message version, which I like, but he says, and that about wraps it up, friends. God is strong, and he wants you strong. In other words, you were never intended to be weak in life. And I don't mean like, wow, I've got all the power, I can lift all these weights, or wow, look how much power I have in my job because of the position I hold. No, no, no. God wants us strong in the mission that he has for us for our lives. That's what he wants us. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to, to be good reflections of who God is. And so he says, take everything the master has set out for you. And he continues, well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use. And you will be able to stand up. I love this. Uh, and if, if you're taking notes, highlight this. He says, stand up to everything the devil throws your way. In other words, stand up to everything that evil is sending your way. Now, Paul has had this experience, and he knows this. He's writing from experience that it's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when in your life. And what's so interesting is about this letter that's been written to this community in Ephesus is they believe that it actually didn't start there, but it was sent all around the world and ended in that community because they needed it. But this is a message for everybody, and here's why. In our faith, in our faith, we don't know how to fight forces that we have no experience with. In our faith, 
we have forces that we're unsure on how to fight. We are. Especially when it comes to this whole evil thing. Again, I underestimate it, and I don't want to sound creepy, but the truth is, if you're like me, you underestimate it, and when something evil comes into your life, you just, whatever, it's just a circumstance. It just happens that way. It just is what it is. But, Paul says, when it comes your way, and so we want to cover four things for you this morning, just four quick things to help you understand what evil is and what it does and what it looks like when it shows up in your life. And so here are four characteristics. Y'all ready with me? We're going to hit these real quick. Ready? The first one is that evil sets up sin-tempting traps. Now, I don't know if you know this to be true, but evil knows about you as much as almost what God knows. Evil knows about you your deepest desires, your deepest passions, your weaknesses, your issues, your problems. It knows all that about you. And it doesn't care how, it doesn't care how long you've been in faith, how long you've been following Jesus, how strong you think you are. At the end of the day, evil doesn't care. It's not prejudice against certain people. Evil tempts everyone. And it knows, it knows, it knows that food that you want. It knows the hit that you want. It knows that person that, that's in your life that you know you shouldn't have in your life or that person that you should be dating or you shouldn't be dating. It knows that and wants to tempt you with it. And wherever we go, we have temptations. Here's the other thing that it does. Evil minimizes sin on the front side and it maximizes sin on the back side. You, you've been in this experience, right, where, where on the front side, it doesn't seem as bad as it does when you actually go through it. It's, it's kind of like Oreos, right? When you eat a pack of Oreos on the front side, it seems like a really good idea. Tastes really good, feels really feeling, uh, it's a really amazing experience, and then you eat the whole pack of Oreos, and on the back side, you feel like you're going to throw up. If you've ever eaten a whole pack of Oreos, uh, it's fun on the front side, not so good on the back side. <laughs> We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but you've had this experience where, <laughs> some of you got that. You've had this experience in your life where all of a sudden, hey, listen, it's just one more bite. It's just one more. It's not a big deal. You just take this hit. It's not a big deal. You go on this date. You meet this person that you know you're not supposed to be meeting. You cheat the system when you know you're not supposed to be cheating. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But here's what happens on the backside, right? Do you, do you ever put a song on repeat over and over and over again, and you can repeat the lines like, like it's nothing just after a few times? This is what evil does on the backside. You take that bite, you take that hit, you go on that date, you cheat the system, and on the backside, you begin to hear, you're a liar. Oh, you're a cheater. And it's like it's on repeat in your mind over and over and over and over again until the point that you believe that to be true about you. And we've said this before. You aren't what you do. But evil maximizes it to make you think you are what you do. And it doesn't mind showing up in your, from your past either. By the way, you made past bad decisions. It will bring you back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 30 years ago. And it will enter your mind and it will just begin to Come on. You remember that kind of person that you were? Over and over and over and over. 
Here's the other thing evil will do. It will distract you from God's will. I find it so interesting that whenever people move forward in their faith or they follow Jesus for the first time or they're making strides and they're really starting to grow deeper, that's often the time that we find that they'll quit. I told the first service, if you were to look in my journal, in the back of my journal, uh, I actually, if you've given your life to Christ over the last year, your name is in the back of my journal with the date and the decision that you've made for Christ, whether it's recommitting your life for Christ or it's the first decision you've made or whether you were baptized, it's in the back of my journal. And I pray for those names. But interestingly, as I go down those names, my heart is broken because there are people who've been here for years. There are people who've just been here for a few days, maybe a month or two, whatever. And it's funny to me that the day after they give their life to Christ is usually the week we never see them again. And it's funny, you'll call them, you'll text them, you'll email them. You'll try to make those connections. And it's almost like this, this push, like, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm telling you, evil will do anything it possibly can to distract you from what God has made you for and wants you to do. Each of us has purpose, we have mission, we have reason. There's a reason why you're here today, and evil will show up and it will distract you from doing what you want to do, what God has made you to do. The last thing that it will do is evil will inflict suffering. Now, I know some of you are going back to the whole boot story, and I'm just trying to tell you now, that's not exactly what I mean. But I think, I think evil shows up in our everyday ailments. And again, I'm not going to blame your hip on the devil. You know, maybe you shouldn't have played so many sports, or maybe you shouldn't have ridden your motorcycle like a crazy guy or girl or whatever. But we have ailments in our life. Some of us have uh, diseases in our life that we never anticipated that we have. Some of us have mental issues. Some of us struggle with depression. Some of us just mentally, we know our minds aren't right. And, and we know that, and we see counselors, and we take medication, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things, but at the end of the day, when you suffer physically, you suffer spiritually. And this is what evil knows about you. Come on, you, you've had this experience when something is wrong with you, and you haven't been to the doctor yet, and you know you should go, but you keep waiting because you think it'll go away, and it doesn't go away. And what happens in your life that is the only thing you think about? You can't think about your kids. You can't think about your spouse. You can't think about your job. You really can't even think about God because the only thing you can think about is the suffering that you're experiencing. Y'all with me on this? And I truly believe that when physically we're suffering, spiritually we begin to suffer. And evil knows this. And so if you begin to take those four, this is kind of how we sum it up. Evil does not want you delivered. It wants you dependent. Literally, the word Satan means to separate. And when I think about this, evil does not want you dependent upon God. It doesn't want you dependent upon the awesome, amazing life that God has for you. It wants you dependent on everything else, that counselor, that medication, that drug, whatever it is in your life, that drink, that food, whatever habit you have that you depend on when you emotionally, mentally, and physically suffer, evil wants you dependent upon it. And it's, it's evil's goal to separate you from God's 
purpose that God created you for. That's the goal. So I know now you're asking me, now that we know what evil looks like when it's on our way, on its way, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, Paul writes to this, this community in Ephesus, and he continues. He says this. He says, put on the full armor of God. In other words, I'm equipping you. I'm getting you ready for this moment where you can stand against the devil's schemes. And continues. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, he continues, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think, Ron, keep going. I think we've got, uh, I think I'm, here we are. Yes. This is the point. So that when the day of evil comes, listen to what he says, you, not your friend, not your mom, not your dad, not your girlfriend, not your boyfriend. It says, so you will be able to stand your ground. In other words, God is equipping you to stand up for yourself. And this is Paul's point, that is, do what's natural. Like, if you're addicted to something, go to rehab. If you have problems with overeating, have somebody that can help you with that. If you have a temper and you can't con control it, have somebody that can speak into your life about how to control it. Do what's natural. You have to stand your ground, but do not give up. Paul knows, he knows how deep of a fight this is, and he knows that so many of us just give up. This is why we just walk away from faith, because it's so difficult at times. It's not easy. It's not fun. But if you just think God's going to do it for you, you're, you're wrong. You're a participant in this. I, I told the last service, it's like somebody who rides a motorcycle down the street at 150 miles an hour, never trained to stand up, but is standing up, and then is praying, dear God, would you save me as I ride down the street? No, idiot, sit down. Do what's natural. Do something reasonable. Take care of yourself. Stand up and fight for your own life. But he also knows there's going to be times when you can't stand up to the powers of darkness. You can't stand up to the powers of evil. And so he finishes it out. He says, listen, when you've stood up for yourself, after you've done everything that I've taught you to do, stand firm, you do that. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, I, you know, you talk about praying in the Spirit. That seems pretty spiritual to me. I, and I don't know a lot about that stuff, praying in the Spirit. I don't know what that means. Paul, could you put it into layman's terms for me? I mean, Spirit, like, is that something we get out of a candy machine? Is that some guy we're supposed to be looking for? Is like dressed in angel wear? I mean, what is the Spirit? I mean, I, I'm so confused by this. I want to take you, I want you to, just for a moment, I want you to think to one of the most anxious-driven moments of your life. Do you remember the point where you had that debilitating anxiety to the point where you couldn't move? You couldn't think straight. You couldn't see straight. The room was spinning, and you were like, I don't know if I can handle this. You, you, know, you remember what this feels like, right? And in that moment, you felt like you couldn't breathe. Our cameraman's falling asleep. In that moment, you felt like you couldn't breathe. 
Come back with me now. This is the most important part. If you miss this, you're going to miss it all. You remember the moment you couldn't breathe. You felt like you were suffocating, right? You're taking short breaths. You're having a panic attack. You couldn't breathe. And I find it interesting that Paul says, pray in the Spirit. In other words, pray for the breath that gives you life. Literally, the word spirit means breath. And Paul's pointing out, we're going to face moments in our lives where we feel like we're suffocating. We feel like we can't breathe, and we're not going to know what to do. But he says, in that moment, I need you to pray for breath. And I need you to pray for the breath that defeated death. Do you know that you have access to the breath that defeated the death that Jesus experienced for us, right? Like, go with me just for the moment. You know the story. You know Jesus died for your sins. You know how great of a story that is. But what we rarely do is go back to the grave. We rarely go back to the tomb where three full days, three full days of not breathing, this guy just laying still, dead, eternally suffocated. And then the Spirit hovers and inserts itself and the breath. Doesn't it feel good when you take a breath? When you're stressed? There's a reason why you do that. And I want you to be reminded when you find yourself in that situation, take that breath and let it be a reminder when you pray for God's spirit that he is the one that will give you that life. So pray for the breath. So here's what I want you to know today. We're closing it out. You have been given miraculous authority over darkness in Jesus' name. This is the miracle, right? You thought I was like gonna cast out demons at somebody or something like that today. No, <laughs> we're not that. We, we, yeah, I'm not, I'm, that's not me. But this is the miracle. That God has given you authority. Notice I didn't say power over. He's given you authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. When Jesus comes to the world, he doesn't say, I have power over you. He doesn't say, look at the power I have. Look at the power I can do. No, he says, the Father in, his, in heaven has given me all what? Authority. It goes a whole nother level. Like Jesus's authority has been given by somebody who has more power over him. And we have been given that same authority, which means we don't have the power to stand up. We don't have the strength to stand up, but we have authority over. In other words, like when I think about it with my kids, I can't power over my kids. I mean, I could, but you go to jail for stuff like that. I can't make my kids eat. I can't, I can't make my kids watch their mouths. I can't make my kids powerfully do anything. I mean, you can again, but you go to jail for something like that. But what I do have is I have authority that has been entrusted to me. And when I say, listen, it's time to go to bed, they, they go to bed. And when I tell them to brush their teeth, they brush their teeth. And when I tell them to eat their broccoli, they just eat their broccoli. I've been given authority. 
And I want you to know that you have been given authority in Jesus' name to do the same thing. Right? And I think our biggest issue, my biggest struggle, your biggest issue too, is that we tend to underestimate the power of Jesus' name. Like, I think we tend, this is where my experience has been recently. I, I've been overestimating the forces of evil and underestimating the power of Jesus' name. Those boots scared me to death. And then I begin to wonder, do you have the same faith and belief that could tear those boots and the God who separated the waters and freed a bunch of people that were in slavery? Do you, do you believe in the God that literally sent a miracle? By the way, miracle, we, I'm defining it this way. Miracle is God visibly intervening on earth. I meant to say that in the front and I'm sorry. But do we believe that? And so I want, you to, I want you to practice this, right? One of the ways that you can begin to work in your spiritual life, one of the ways that we wanna feed you as you begin to walk out of here and that you could use in your own life is beginning to pray this prayer in Jesus' name, right? I pray this every day. Uh, in fact, the other day I said it out loud when I was walking around the house and my, my wife thought I was nuts. She looked at me like, you're crazy. Um, but I just said, hey, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, please have mercy upon me. That's it. I say it over and over and over. It's my breath, by the way. But you've got to use the name of Jesus. In fact, Ron um, Jr., many of you know Ron Jr. He does a wonderful job of running these slides, by the way. He has a lot of stress in his own life. He is, his family's going through some stuff right now, and, and uh, maybe they'll reveal that to you on their own time. Uh, but with work and um, lots of other things going on, he began to have a panic attack and, and he went to the, to the doctor's office and they literally thought that, that like he was actually having a heart attack. There were some, just some weird things going on and all the stress and all the anxiety had built up in his life where he was literally, literally just shaking. He couldn't control himself. He was afraid. And it was almost like Jesus showed up in his life and said, do you trust me? Right, that's what he said to you, right? Do you trust me? And in the moment of confession, he said, no, I've not placed my faith in you. And he began to pray it. Lord, I trust you in the name of Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, I put my faith, not in my job, not in my money, not in my family, in Christ alone is where I put my faith. And he said, the moment that happened was the moment all of the symptoms went away. It's the power of the name of Jesus. And you have it. You've been given it. The authority has been given to you. And I would just say to you, summon it, take it, use it, borrow it. But when evil shows up at your door, be ready for it. Jesus can get you through it. That's the miracle. And that's the miracle of deliverance.